So last Sunday we were looking at uh, Jesus being our wonderful counsellor. And uh, if you remember unpacking uh, wonderful, which means he's beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. Uh, Counsellor, Jesus is the wisest person that we could ever know. He knows everything about our lives. He knows every word before it's on our lips. He knows every action before we've done it. And he is the wisest one. So when we need help and advice and counsel in our lives, there's no better place to go than the Lord Jesus. Uh, So this morning we're going to unpack Jesus being uh, mighty God. What does it mean that uh, we worship a Jesus who is mighty God? I wonder when you think about Jesus, how you um, how you think about Jesus. I remember in my um, many years ago, my second curacy, we had a midweek communion service that about um, 10 or a dozen uh, lovely folk would come to this midweek communion on Wednesday morning. And generally they were folk who had, uh, they'd grown up in the church and they'd been going to church uh, pretty much all of their lives. And uh, now they came to this Wednesday morning communion. So they had, you know, they'd recited the creed a lot of times and they'd heard a lot of sermons. And there was one particular week where I must have um, been preaching quite specifically about Jesus being uh, you know, the son of God. And over coffee after the service, I had this conversation with this very lovely lady who expressed surprise that Jesus was God. And said, so, well, I, I was, th- well, well, God is God and, and Jesus is Jesus. She said, I've never, I've never thought before about Jesus being God. And I was, I was slightly surprised, this lovely lady, having attended church most of her life and heard a good few sermons, had, hadn't quite made the connection between Jesus and God. So it's not something we, I, I realise that we can take for granted. Even for people who've been coming to church a long time, that the penny has dropped, that when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about God. Is that how we, how we think of him? So I just want to I'm going to look at three Three aspects of the Godhead and just remind us that actually when we think about Jesus, he is God. And all the attributes of God that we think about apply to Jesus. He is our mighty God. So first of all, just right at the the opening of the Bible, the Bible begins with what God did in creation. Uh, Let me just read you a few verses from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. God said, let the land produce vegetation. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. That's what God did in the beginning to bring everything into being. And then we get to uh, the beginning of John's gospel, where John very deliberately echoes the words of 
Genesis as he introduces his gospel about the Lord Jesus. And he begins by saying, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Uh, And then the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, picks up the same theme. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, writing about Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is mighty God. Jesus was there in the beginning. Everything was created by him and for him. He is mighty God. And because he's mighty God, he is also holy. He is holy God. Uh, In um, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah receives his commission from God, Isaiah writes as follows. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, With two wings they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, the holiness of God. Isaiah sees the very holiness of God and and quails. He thinks, I can't, how can I see the holiness of God and yet live? Well, Jesus is exactly the same. We go to the uh, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 4. The Apostle John sees in a vision the very throne room of heaven. And in that throne room, we read that he saw one. Uh, I said, I I was in the spirit and there before me uh, was a throne and someone sitting on it. And who is it who's sitting on the throne in the throne room of heaven? Well, it's very clear that it is Jesus. Uh, uh, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold. On their heads from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Uh, He goes on, in the centre around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and behind. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour And thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. They worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created 
and have their being. This is Jesus. This is Jesus that the angels are worshipping. He is one with Almighty God. When we gather together this morning to worship Jesus, this is who we are worshipping. Jesus who is mighty God, he was there in the beginning. Jesus who is holy and Jesus who, because of his holiness, is the one who will come to judge. Uh, if we go back to, um, uh, to Exodus and to a time when Moses is leading the people of God out of slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And you may know, you may remember that uh, while Moses is up the mountain speaking with God and uh, receiving from the Lord the Ten Commandments, the people of God at the foot of the mountain immediately go astray. Now, they immediately become idolatrous. They, uh, they shape a calf from gold and begin to worship the calf. Immediately they go astray and Moses uh, comes back down the mountain and discovers all of this. And in Exodus um, uh, chapter 30, 32 and verse 33, uh, the conversation continues between the Lord and Moses. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. God is holy. It gets to this, it gets to this point where the Lord says to Moses, he says, well, I'll send an angel ahead of you to take you into the land flowing with the milk and honey, but I'm not going to go with you, basically because it's too dangerous for you. I might destroy you on the way. And then Moses says, well, actually, if you don't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going because it's your presence with us that is the only thing that distinguishes us from all the other people on the face of the earth. And in the end, Moses says, um, well, we'll take the risk. Because we're not going without you. So thank goodness for the New Testament. Thank goodness for, uh, for Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who doesn't do any of that stuff. Uh, you know, um, you know there's this judgmental God of the Old Testament. Thank goodness we can leave him behind in the Old Testament because Jesus isn't like that. Only problem is, that's not what the New Testament says about Jesus because Jesus is... The mighty God in Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist is preaching. Uh, John the Baptist is telling people about the Messiah who is to come. And he has harsh words for the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew chapter three, verse seven. He says, when I saw many of uh, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the mighty God, the one who was there at the beginning of creation, the one who is a holy God, who is jealous for his name and jealous for his people and the one who will come to judge, to judge in love and justice and righteousness, but the one who is coming to judge. So when we think about Jesus and when we think about welcoming Jesus into our lives, we must be clear about who this Jesus is, that he is a mighty God. I remember many years ago when I was in my gap year between school and university working at a student's hostel in London and Uh, bizarrely for someone who had absolutely no qualifications and knew nothing about what they were doing I was put on the maintenance team uh, which involved doing all sorts of um, you know decorating and plumbing and electrical work uh, literally with no qualifications whatsoever I just sort of made it up as I went along which when you're dealing with electricity is is is, it's not a sensible thing to do because electricity is incredibly useful you know we couldn't live our lives without electricity But actually, you need to be quite careful around electricity because it's quite dangerous. I remember one occasion when um, it was a a broken, it was a double 13 amp plug socket and the plastic surround was broken and needed replacing. And it was a very old, it was an old building. And uh, for the life of me, I could not find the fuse to isolate this particular room. It was a student's room and there were fuse boxes all over the place. And I simply could not find the fuse that would isolate the power to this um, student's room. So I thought, well, it still needs replacing. uh, So I'll just have to replace it, even though it's live. I don't think I've ever done anything more carefully in my life than replace this plug socket. Because we had to sort of unscrew it, take it off the wall, and then take the cables out of the back, which were live. And I did it extremely carefully. Because I knew that the electricity was useful, but I knew that if I touched it in the wrong way, it was probably going to be the last thing that I ever did. And uh, the people of God in the Old Testament are very aware of the holiness of God. They are very aware that they want to be in relationship with God. God is, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the people of God in the Old Testament know how much God loves them. Uh, the psalmists speak about this wonderful relationship with love, but they never forget that God is holy. And sometimes we forget the holiness of God. Sometimes we forget that Jesus is the same holy God. And even though because of his sacrifice on the cross and because of his grace, we can approach him, he's still that same holy God. And so when we welcome, if we welcome Jesus into our lives, we must never forget that actually it's quite a scary thing to do. Because when you invite Jesus into your life, you don't get to call the shots 
about what he may or may not do. Accepting Jesus is about surrendering our lives to a powerful, holy God. I want to read a, a, a little a page from uh, one of C.S. Lewis's um, books, The Silver Chair, in the, uh, it's in the Narnia series. Uh, it comes after The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And, uh, and he writes in the, in the book about a girl called Jill, who um, uh, basically she, she doesn't know it, but she stumbles across Aslan, uh, the lion. Uh, and uh, she is, uh, she's very thirsty, and she sees a stream that she wants to drink from, and that she knows the, the stream will, will quench her thirst. And then she realises that between her and the stream is a lion. Uh, and I'll just read a, 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 a few pages, because it beautifully illustrates uh, the joy of coming to Jesus, but also the risk of coming to Jesus. Uh, he writes this, uh, The lion lay with its head raised and its two forepaws out in front of it, like the lions in Trafalgar Square. Uh, she knew at once that it had seen her, for its eyes looked straight into hers for a moment and then turned away, as if it knew her quite well and didn't think much of her. Uh, if I run away, it'll be after me in a moment, thought Jill, and if I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. She hears a voice. If you're thirsty, you may drink. The voice said again, if you're thirsty, come and drink. Uh, she hesitates. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, uh, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realised she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that, and her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do, but she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. Before she tasted it, she'd been intending to make a dash away from the lion the moment she had finished. Now she realised that this would, on the whole, be the most dangerous thing of all. She got up and stood there with her lips still wet from drinking. Which is a beautiful illustration of 
of Jill, who she's dying from thirst. And she can see the stream that will quench her thirst. But the lion is, is in the way. And it's the, it's the same for us. To be in relationship with the Lord Jesus is to come into relationship with the one who quenches our thirst. The lion said to Jill, she said, well, I'll go and find another stream. And he said, there is no other stream. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other stream. And uh, Aslan makes no promise to Jill about whether or not he's going to eat her. He just says, I make no promise. He just, I am who I am. But he's the one who quenches our thirst. That's what it's like to accept the Lord Jesus. Uh, He doesn't come to us on our terms, but we come to him on his terms. But it is the most wonderful, wonderful thing that we can ever do to accept him. But we have to be uh, honest with ourselves that when we do that, we surrender our lives. And we have no idea what the Lord may ask us to do. We have no idea where the, where the Lord may take us. All, we, all that is guaranteed is that it will be the most amazing adventure. And he will never leave us on that adventure. But where it will take us, uh, well, that's for him to say. So the Messiah, uh, our Jesus, the one that we worship, he is our mighty God. And may we never forget it, but may we rejoice in it. So let's um, pray for a moment and then we are.